Hi, I'm Dan, and I want to welcome you to Church Online. If it's your first time, please take a minute and fill out a quick guest link on our website after the broadcast. We would love to connect with you, no matter where you're watching from. You can also give online by going to lifechurchutah.com or by texting LCGIVE to 95577 at any time during this morning's service. Once again, thank you for making Life Church Online a part of your weekend. For more information, visit us at lifechurchutah.com. We've been in this series of messages uh, during the month of August that we've called Generosity, and we've been talking about different aspects of generosity. Last week I talked about overcoming a poverty mentality in your life. I had quite a few comments from people how much... Uh, the teaching and training that you got last Sunday meant to to them. And uh, if you were not here to hear it, I, you can go online and see that as podcast. Today I want to talk with you about something other than money. I want to talk with you about your serving, your serving and your service for God, the generosity of you giving off yourself, giving out your life. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 7 through 12 read, I observe, this is King Solomon speaking, I observed yet another example of something meaningless under the sun. This is the case of a man who is all alone without a child or a brother, yet who works hard to gain as much wealth as he can. But then he asks himself, who am I working for? Why am I giving up so much pleasure now? It is also meaningless and depressing. Verse 9, two people are better off than one. Let me just pause there because it can kind of feel like maybe Verse 8 and verse 9 don't go together, but you have to read it in the context of what he's talking about. He's talking about an individual who is by himself, a person who's all alone, who doesn't have family, doesn't have relationships. He gains all this wealth, and he says, for what? Then Solomon goes on and says, two people are better off than one. So whether it's a matter of uh, what he's going to talk about here or the gaining of wealth, the gaining of position, it has to go for the blessing of others. Two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help, but someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm, but how can one be warm alone? A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer Three are even better, for a triple-braided cord is not easily broken. And so what Solomon is talking about here is the difference between living for yourself and living for the benefit of other people. What he is saying is that if you only live for yourself, you will end up at, at the end, as appealing as it can seem, that working for you and doing everything for you is, is, uh, is the way to go. That's very appealing to the flesh. But he says you'll end up at the end of your life feeling meaningless, like your life has been meaningless. If you want your life to count, if you want to feel good about yourself, you've got to live for more than just yourself. That's just the way that God has made us. You've got to be willing to invest what God has given to you into the lives of others. And and Solomon should know that living just for yourself doesn't bring fulfillment. Solomon was Israel's third king, 
and the son of Israel's greatest king, King David. Now, David had established Israel as, as a world power in his day. And as long as they sought the Lord, God gave them victory on every side. So they were, they were a victorious people. So when Solomon came into power, he inherited a nation that was poised for greatness and poised for prosperity. And prosper they did. Mainly because God gave Solomon an incredible gift. God appeared to him one night and says, What is it, Solomon, as king, that you want more than anything else? I wonder what would you have answered if God were to appear to you last night and have said, I will give you whatever you ask for. What would you have asked for? Solomon showed the wisdom of his life that was already, the wisdom was already in his life when he requested wisdom. He didn't request miracles. He didn't request wealth. He didn't request victory over his enemies. He requested wisdom so that he could govern God's people properly. And God gave him wisdom. In fact, he is often referred to as the wisest man apart from Jesus Christ who ever lived. Nobody has ever accused me of that. He, had, he was the wisest man who ever lived. His wisdom was so great that he could answer almost any question that was, uh, was given to him. In fact, world leaders would come from far and wide uh, travel huge distances, which today is not that big a deal, but you got to remember they did it on horseback or camelback or walked. Uh, it, it was big, and they would come from all over the then known world, and, and they would seek the counsel and the wisdom of Solomon. And when they came, they brought gifts. They brought lavish gifts. That was the custom. They brought opulence. They brought wealth, and it just kept adding to the treasury of Israel and to Solomon himself. In fact, it is said that during Solomon's reign, there were there was so many precious stones, so much precious metal, that silver itself had become commonplace and was considered of little value. Wow. It was Solomon who built the first temple of God. And it was a magnificent structure. In fact, there wasn't another structure like it in all of the world. And Solomon himself, not only was Israel very wealthy, but Solomon himself had great wealth. And he spent a lot of his money on his wives. He spent it on acquiring his wives. And he had a lot of money, so he had a lot of wives. Huck Finn was once asked, how many wives did Solomon have? And he said, oh, I think about a million of them. Well, that wasn't quite true. He didn't have a million wives. He only had a thousand. Just a thousand. In fact, if we're going to be fair, only 700 were his wives. The other 300 were part of his harem. They were called concubines. But this gives Solomon the world record, which still stands today, as a matter of fact. 700 wives. Think about it. 700 wives. Think about it, men. 700 mothers-in-law. What was he thinking? Apparently he wasn't. 
Much of the wisdom of Solomon is preserved in an Old Testament book called the book of Proverbs. He had other books that he wrote too, the Song of Solomon and the book of Ecclesiastes from which we read earlier. But it's interesting in the book of Proverbs that Solomon has so much to say about the dangers of adultery. He warns against it over and over and over, and, and rightfully so. Adultery is a, is a terrible thing uh, for you to go through, for you to have uh, uh, done to you. It's a, it's, a, it's a terrible thing. But it just seems odd that Solomon would be the guy who would talk so much about the subject of, of adultery, given the fact that he had 700 wives. I thought to myself, when would he have had the time or the energy to pursue other men's wives? I don't know how he made that work. But what was tragic for Solomon was that even with all of his wealth and all of his wives, he still wasn't happy. There was a hole in his heart that women and wealth couldn't fill. And that's why he said what he did in the verses that we read earlier from Ecclesiastes, he's speaking here from first-hand experience, and what he's saying is you can't live for yourself and be happy. I've tried it. It doesn't work. In fact, he says in verse 8 there that it oftentimes leads to depression, living for yourself. So God says for us to be truly happy, we have got to live our lives for a higher purpose than just ourselves. I am not by far the wisest man who ever lived. I don't even get in the top 100 or the top 1,000. But I will say that when I was a teenager, that I understood that reality right there. If I was going to be happy in life, I had to learn to live for something and someone more than myself. And that someone was Jesus. And that something was for his kingdom. It, it somehow, either somebody taught me that or just the working of the Spirit. And I just want to say that to every one of you, even no matter what stage you are in life right now, even if you didn't know it earlier in life, if that never dawned on you, if the, if the need for God in your life never, never even dawned on you when you were a teenager, wherever you're at in life right now, what I'm saying to you is today is the first day of the rest of your life. And so use it for God's glory and live for a higher purpose than just yourself. You see, everything that God does for us, he does it not just to bless us, not just to give us personal encouragement or, or personal benefit, but he gives those things to us to use us to touch other people. So, for instance, if you have been saved and forgiven God didn't just save and forgive you to save and forgive you and take you to heaven. Yes, that's part of it. But he gave you salvation. He gave you forgiveness. He removed the guilt so that you could share the message of what he has done for you into the life of somebody else who desperately needs to know that God can save them and forgive them and deliver them from the guilt as well. If you have been healed, you've been healed not just to enjoy the blessings of the healing, but you've been healed in order to share with a, with a sick world that, that God wants to bring into them a healing touch too. If you've been delivered, God wants you to share his power of deliverance with other people. The point that I'm trying to make to you today is that the only way to live your life 
with a real sense of fulfillment is to invest whatever God has done in your life into the lives of others. You are a conduit. You are not the end game. You are a conduit of what God wants to do in the lives of others. And as long as you see yourself that way, you will continue to receive a flow of God into your life and the blessings of God into your life. If you ever get to the point that you see yourself as the end game, the end result, the flow will stop. But if you see yourself as someone that God can flow through, oh, I tell you what, and you start being used of God, the flow will increase into your life in every dimension and in every way. So why do we need to let God use us to serve others? Well, in verses 9 through 12 here in Ecclesiastes, Solomon tells us the benefits that come when we let God use us to generously serve other people, which is what we're talking about today, generously serving. Here is the principle of those verses. We are better together. We are better Christians when we, when we live our faith together. We are better people of faith when we encourage one another in the faith. We are we are more mature in the faith when we let others into our lives. We are better together. We're holier together. We're stronger together. When we do it together, we challenge one another. Uh, Solomon also said in Proverbs that as, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another person. That is the benefit of being together. So when Solomon says that we are better together, it means that not only are, are we better, like I am better because I'm with you, that is true, but it's bigger than just me. It's we are better together. In fact, it's bigger than we. It's everybody is better because we've been together. Do you see how this flows on out? It's like the ripple effect in a lake. You throw a big enough stone in a calm lake, the ripples keep going on out and out and out. That's exactly what happens from our time together here this morning, that what God does in us here ripples on out into the world. In fact, so much so that if everybody got this idea of being together and togetherness and of unity, the whole world would be a totally transformed place. The world would be a, a, a better place. There would be no need for armies or for defense budgets because everybody would be working for the benefit of one another. Wouldn't it be something if this attitude of togetherness, of teamwork, of unity began to fill our, our nation? We are a very divided nation. Wouldn't it be something if we started, uh, uh, if, if God gave a revival in Washington of teamwork? I should have got a bigger response than that. Either that or you don't watch the news. Wouldn't that be something if Washington started actually working together? Teamwork makes a nation stronger. Teamwork makes a people better. In fact, what will destroy America is not ISIS or Al-Qaeda. What will destroy America are not potential nukes from North Korea or from Iran. 
What will destroy America will happen within. It'll be a division that continues to fester, which is doing right now. It'll be it'll, the lack of unity, the lack of oneness, the, the, the lack of vision together. Jesus said it in Mark chapter 3, verse 24, a kingdom or a nation divided against itself will collapse. And I want you to know that there are some people in our nation today, for whatever reason, who believe they want to see America collapse. They want to see our nation fail and fall because they believe that whatever comes out of that will be better than what we currently have. But the only thing that I believe will come out of America's demise will be that the whole world will be far worse place for everyone because America has been a nation not perfect, but it's been a nation that's brought the whole world up. And if we lose America and we, and we lose the touch of God off of America, our world is in grave trouble. And the same principle is true for the local church, for God's church. The same thing is true for our church in particular. We will only be as strong as our unity, as our teamwork together, our willingness to serve one another. God expects us to generously give of ourselves to one another in love and in unity. He has not brought you into this church just to spectate. He has brought you into this church to learn and to grow and to serve. Teamwork, that's the, the Bible is full of teamwork. It talks about teamwork all the time. In the Old Testament, it talks about Moses and Aaron and Joshua and Caleb, Naomi and Ruth and David and Jonathan and Daniel and the three Hebrew children. In the New Testament, it talks about teams like Peter and James and Paul and Barnabas and Paul and Timothy and Paul and Silas and, and Aquila and Priscilla. In fact, if you even look into the, the, the life of Jesus and the ministry of Jesus, you'll see the exact same thing. Even the Son of God didn't go it alone. He could only carry the sins of the world. Only he could do that. But he didn't live his life in a bubble. He developed a team of people around him, of men and of women, of, of apostles and of followers. And into them, he taught the principles of life and he shared his life with them so that they then would go out and share. And before he left, he said, go into all the world and take the gospel wherever you go. Share this life-giving word with people who desperately need it. What I've done for you, do for others in my power. Now, going back to Ecclesiastes, Solomon shares, I think, four benefits uh, of serving, of a team serving each other within the, a local church and, and within the context of teamwork. Uh, first of all, he talks about increased effectiveness. In verse number nine, he says, they help each other succeed. The truth is, none of you will succeed by yourself. The only reason you succeed is because other people want you to succeed. The only reason a president, a man, or a woman is elected to the, be the president of the United States is because there's a lot of people that want that person to be elected as president. They don't do it on their own talent. They don't do it on their own looks. Their only way they can get elected is by other people giving of themselves to make it happen. The reality is 
that when we are together, we help each other succeed. We build one another up. The NIV puts it this way. They have a good return for their work. Who doesn't want to be effective? We all want to be effective in life. We want to have effective lives. We want to look back on our lives and say, man, I'm, I, I, I'm glad that God used me. I, I, I believe that the world's a better place because I have been here. Effectiveness makes us feel good about ourselves. Effectiveness with it, we have a sense of accomplishment. And that's why, and that's what happens when we work together and serve one another. We have this sense of accomplishment and achievement because we're able to be more effective. Now, what Solomon is specifically saying is that two people can do more than one person. Now, that, that makes sense. That doesn't astound us. We, we understand that. Certainly, two people are able to do twice as much as one individual. But do you know that that's not true? Two people can do way more than what just one person can do. Matter of fact, it's interesting. People who study these things, I don't know who they are, but they, they say that two men can lift three times the weight of what one man can lift. Now, just logically, you would think that two men of the same size could probably lift twice as much weight as what just one man can, but it's not true. Two men can, two men can lift three times what one person can lift, and this is even true in the animal kingdom. I was reading about, a, a, well, in Canada, they, they have an annual horse pulling contest, and the top two horses were able, this is astounding to me, were able to pull one 9,000 pounds and the other 8,000 pounds, respectively. That's incredible, isn't it? That one animal, I mean, we're not talking about an elephant here, we're talking about horses, and they were able to pull that much weight. But get this, when you teamed them together, they were able to pull not what you would think, 17,000, 9 and 8, 17,000, no, they were able to pull over 30,000 pounds when they were teamed together. This principle is called the principle of synergism. Synergism is simply the means of getting more done through teamwork. More done through teamwork. And I see it every day manifest in our church. People who volunteer, people who team with other team members, uh, groups that go out and touch apartment complexes for the glory of God. As a team, they're, they're much more effective than just a few that went out. Uh, as a team, they, they touch so many more lives. I see it in the pastors and the office personnel all working together to get more accomplished for the glory of God and for the kingdom of God than any one of us could do by ourselves. This is why unity in service is so important. Unity puts us on the same page. Unity makes us effective. Unity gives us the same direction, and it makes us a people that God can greatly use for His kingdom. So increased effectiveness. There's a second benefit, increased safety. Verse number 10 says, If one person falls, the other can reach out and help, but someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Now that makes sense too. But here's, here's the truth. All of us will hit unexpected hard times in life. Everyone, nobody gets out of life unscathed. Everybody gets hit with something. 
Some people get hit with more earlier. Some people get hit with more later in life. But everyone gets hit to some degree. We all go through hard times. That's when we need the help of others to pull us up and to pull us out. When I was writing that this past week, I was thinking to myself about the, the, the deep depression I went through almost 20 years ago now. And if you're newer to our church, you haven't heard me talk about it, but many of you have. And I went through a debilitating depression where I never thought I would come out of it. And people would say, well, pull yourself out by your bootstraps. I couldn't do it. It didn't work. The brain wasn't working right. Well, it still isn't. But you understand what I'm saying? That part of me wasn't working right. I was in this depression. I was in this funk. And it was more than just feeling blue. It was deep, deep depression. And had it not been for the woman that I married to who had the godly sense to pray over me in the power of the Spirit and to pray over me in tongues and to believe in me and to talk about what God was going to do in our future and began to get me on a different course of life and a different way of thinking. God healed me, but God used her to set, to set it all in motion. And that's what's got to happen, brothers and sisters. We have, we, have got to, we have got to let God use us to be the, his hand extended into other people's lives. That's one of the points of the parable of the Good Samaritan. In Luke chapter 10, Jesus tells the story of a Jewish man traveling on a trip from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, they beat him up, and left him dead, half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along, but when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. And then a temple assistant, so these are two religious guys, uh, the temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan. Why does it call him that? It's because that's the way the Jews saw the Samaritans. The Samaritans were half Jewish and half Gentile. And so the, the purebred Jews didn't like the Samaritan. It was a prejudice issue, all right? It's exactly what it was. And, and so he was called the despised Samaritan, not because Jesus despised him, but because that's how the Jews saw them, all right? And so Jesus is saying, you know, one of those despised Samaritans came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. And going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil, wine, and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey, and he took him to an inn where he took care of him. And the next day he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man if his bill runs higher than this. I will pay you the next time that I'm here. Now, it's clear from this story that the man was so beaten so badly that if no one helped him, he was in trouble. He was probably going to die. And you'll notice that it's the two religious guys who did nothing. They walked by on the other side because they couldn't be soiled by this inferior person's tragedy and his need. I don't know if those guys would have helped anybody, but that's what religion always does. It focuses so much on you and getting things right with you that it never takes you to the other level of reaching out and being a help to other people the way God intended. It never talks about the expression of God's life into you and through you into the lives of others. The point is, we've got to be people who are for one another. 
who care for one another, who encourage one another, who lift up one another, who are there for one another. We've got to be willing to reach out to others beyond just our own particular circle of friends and be Christ's hand extended to them. The Samaritan was so generous, that's what we're talking about, is generosity, that he offered to even pay for the care of the wounded, the beaten man. And he said, if, if the bill goes higher than what I've given you, I, I, will, I will cover that too. That's the kind of generous service that God is calling us to do. And, and I'm not saying that God's calling you to give money. It may not be a money issue. It may be, but it may not be a money issue. It may be being generous in your time. Giving of yourself to help other people in something that's organized through the church or something that just God impresses upon your own spirit. But you give of yourself in ministry. Do you know how many people have to give of themselves in order for every one of us to have a, a wonderful experience in God when we come together on a Sunday morning? There are scores and scores of people who are here early that give of themselves and they say, here's my life, Lord. I'll be used for you. It may be your time. Or maybe you'll be called upon by God and we're probably all called upon to be generous in our love to other people in the church family instead of just walking out and kind of ignoring everybody else as you walk out the door instead you're you're looking at other people and you're looking for opportunities that you can bless them and encourage them in fact I've said this to you years years past but I'll just encourage you with this again I want you today to look for the grumpiest person that there is in this church and I want you to go up and make it your mission to encourage them, okay? So if you have a lot of people coming up to you afterwards, guess, what, guess who you are, you know? Some of you live in your own little bubble, and Satan has told you have nothing to offer, and it's a lie. You've got to begin to see yourself as someone who can touch the life of another person. A third benefit that Solomon talks about is increased comfort. Look at verse 11. Likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm, but how can one be warm alone? Uh, years ago, I used to hunt, but before I got my hunting license, I had to attend uh, a hunter's safety course. And in that safety course, they talked a lot about hypothermia because sometimes hunters get lost out there. And what can you do in order to take care of, of yourself in a hypothermic kind of a situation? What, what if you come across somebody? What can you do to help them out? And so they trained us in this, in this issue of preventing hypothermia to yourself, what you have to do to avoid that. But if you come across somebody who's already fallen into it, what do you have to do to save their life? Because the truth is hypothermia can be very, very dangerous. It can kill you very easily. It's when the core temperature on the inside of the human body becomes so low that no matter how many blankets you were to put upon them, they still would not warm up enough to survive. They would still die. And so what they taught us was there are some situations that are so serious that actually you would have to get as close physically as you possibly could under the blankets, but you'd have to get as close physically to transfer the heat off of you into the, into the victim, into the other individual. And, and that would be the only way of, of warming them up. And folks, what I want you to see is there are people who are, who are going through such terrible situations in their lives. They're going through such crisis situations in their life. 
They don't know what to do with their life. They need the warmth and the concern that comes from others in the body of Christ. They need people reaching out and putting hand to hand and an arm around a shoulder and saying, I'm standing with you. I know what you're going through. I know what you're experiencing, but God's going to see you through just like my wife did for me. You, we've got to do that for one another and believe that God will indeed do all that he's promised to do. If you're on your own and you hit that kind of a crisis in your life, you may not survive. But with the generous care of others in the body of Christ, I want you to know you'll make it. There's great safety in, in being together. We're better together. And then fourthly, increased security. Verse number 12 says a person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. And three are even better for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. And so, yeah, you, you know, you get two back to back, but even sometimes in that kind of a situation, two back to back or even three, maybe, maybe they're still outnumbered. Maybe the, they're, the, the one coming against them is greater than the, their power. But the point is three can, can, can handle all the different angles and the chance of survival so much greater. So two can defend themselves, but three are even better. And that's why the body of believers is so important. Because we're able to stand strong with one another. We're able to cover all areas of possible attack. I've had people that have said to me, Pastor Jim, I think that this is what's happening. This is a spiritual attack that's coming against you. And I hadn't even thought of that. I know I'm supposed to be God's man of faith and power, but there are times that there's a short circuit there. It doesn't work just right. And it's been actually the counsel of other people that have said to me, I believe that the enemy is coming against you in this particular area. And as I began to put two and two together, I said, you know what? That's true. I, I that is true. I can see that. And God giving me wisdom through them helped me to know how then scripturally to deal with it. God's call to this church is to be a body of believers who generously and genuinely serve one another. Now, I know that our ministry to others is more than just what happens inside the building. I know we want to touch the lives of those who are not currently in faith. But God is calling us to touch one another, too. It's not just about them out there. It's about us in here too. It's about us caring about one another too. In fact, one of the things that I have noticed is that I'm only effective out there if I have learned how to be effective in here. That in here becomes a training ground for how God can use me out there. And if I do nothing in here, I'm probably not going to do much out there either. So it gets down to this. God's call upon us as his people is to generously, that means with abundance, care and serve. Care for and serve one another. Listen to what God says to us in Philippians chapter 2. Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Well, I hope you would answer yes. Yeah, I've gotten encouragement from that. Is there any comfort from his love? Yeah, okay. Any fellowship together in his spirit? Yeah, between us and him and us and each other? Yeah. 
Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Because of, I hope so. And God says, make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. You know what I've learned in life? Is that much of the things that divide us are insignificant. And we allow such insignificant things to come in and tear us apart. And the devil just smiles. And he just smiles. Don't be selfish, he says, verse 3. Don't try to impress others, but be humble thinking of others as better than yourself. That's hard to do. That takes the spirit. Don't look out for only your own interests. That takes the spirit. But take an interest in others too. You know, one of the simple ways of doing this is when you're talking to people you're getting acquainted with, or even people you've known for a while, ask questions. Ask questions of them. That shows interest in their life. And then they start sharing their life with you and suddenly you have a friend. Take an interest in others. So let me just ask you this morning as we close, are you doing that? Or put another way, how can God use you to bless people in this church? How can God use you? As I was thinking about that, Three things came to my mind. They're not in your notes. But number one, if you're going to let God use you, you've got to believe that you have something to offer other people. Some of you have believed the lie that you have nothing to give. That there's nothing about you that would really help anyone else. And it's a lie from hell. I'll just real quickly tell you a story years ago when I was a young pastor in early 1980s and we had a pastor at that time who pastored a big church over in eastern Colorado in the along the front range and he was really looked up to because he just had the, he had it you know what I mean whatever it is he had it and he had the big church and so forth and so One of the things I'd noticed about him, though, is that he was kind of pulling away from us. And what I mean by that is he, he quit kind of showing up at meetings when we would get together as a group of pastors. He would hardly ever be there. And I thought, well, he's probably busy, but year after year it was kind of that way. And, um, and I so admired him, I so looked up to him, and I wanted to learn from him. And I remember one time about two months before we were having one of our district-wide get-togethers, which we call a business meeting, our district council. Um, in our district's the states of Colorado and Utah. And I was, I was pastoring out here, and for some reason I was over in eastern Colorado, and I happened to be in the same car with him, and there was a group of us, about four of us in the car. And I, and I just said, his name was Jim, like mine, and... I say, hey, hey, Brother Jim, are you going to be at the district meetings here in two months? And he said to me, he said, no, I don't need that. I don't need that. What he was saying was, there's nothing I really get out of being with the rest of you guys. I can make it on my own. He said, I don't need that. But really what he was saying was, I don't need you. 
And you know what? I was willing to admit that he probably didn't. He didn't need me. There was nothing I could give to him. But this was my response to him. I said, have you ever thought about the fact that maybe we need you? That you have something to give? And he brushed that off and laughed at it and everything. And he didn't show up. What I want to say to you today is that if you won't, if you won't give of yourself, in ministry and in love and in service generously, we are weaker. There are lives here. And you say, well, God will raise up somebody else. Listen, I've been in this long enough to know that sometimes that doesn't happen as quickly as you think. Every single one of you have something to give to someone else within this church body. And God needs you. And we need you. But you have got to believe that you've got something to offer of value to the rest of us. It's going to take that. Secondly, I think it's going to take a willingness to share whatever you got. Because you can have it, but if you're not, and you can believe you've, you've got it, but if you're not willing to share it, that doesn't do us any good. But here's the third thing it's going to require. A willingness to share faithfully. Faithfully. Jesus said it is required of a servant that he be found, anybody know? Faithful. The number one requirement of a servant of God is you've got to be faithful. This is what I've experienced. I see people all the time get excited about a particular ministry and they say, oh yeah, I want to get involved in that. And they do, they get involved in it and they look so promising and it's wonderful until it starts requiring work or sacrifice. And Oh, I didn't know you expected me to be here every morning, every Sunday morning. You know, I, I, I didn't know that I signed up to be. Well, well yeah, that's what you signed up for. No, I, I, I don't really want to do that. You understand what I'm saying? Until it starts costing something and then oh, I'm not. That's not God's call for my life. I'm not trying to put you under guilt this morning. What I'm trying to do is help you to see. That if you're going to be happy in life, you've got to be a giver of yourself to other people. And if you're going to be a giver of yourself to other people, you've got to believe you've got something to give. And you've got to be willing to give it. And you've got to be willing to give it faithfully. If you're willing to do that, what God will pour into you will be so incredible, so beyond your wildest imagination of how your life could have ended or how your life could have been helped. It will be incredible what you begin to experience of God, of heaven flowing into you and out through you into the lives of other people. Now, I don't have anything for you to sign up for today. I just simply want to lay that out to you and say that a generous life is more than a person who gives money. A generous life is a person who allows generosity to flow through them in every part of their life. Monday through Sunday, or maybe Sunday through Saturday. That's the way it works. And if you've got that, guess what's going to start supplying into you by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? This is Pastor Eric. Thanks so much for checking out our Life Church podcast. We pray that it's a blessing to you. For more information about Life Church, check us out at lifechurchutah.com.